0: Welcome to 3 Raven session on Animism, Shamanic Journeying and Therapeutic Shamanism. We'll be talking with Paul Francis, writer, teacher, psychotherapist, shamanic practitioner and founder of Therapeutic Shamanism. In this first episode we'll explore what shamanism is, what are the differences between shamanism and animism, what can psychotherapy bring to the mix and why are shamanic practices something we as a modern society desperately need back. Hi Paul!
1: Hi Kaya. thank you very very much for doing this, I really appreciate it.
0: When someone mentions shamanism, people seem to have very different pictures of what shamanism is. Some think of a shaman dressed in animal skin, dancing around the fire, others anticipate hippies talking about love and light, understanding the world, Yet others just seem to think shamanism is for lunatics and not for everyday reasonable people. How would you describe it?
1: Well, <laughs> I've uh, been practicing shamanism for a long time now. Been teaching it for about twenty-five years, and um, in my experience of teaching it, people certainly can have some pretty strange ideas about what it is. At least a couple of times when I've went to teach introductory days. Um, some people feeling and looking incredibly disappointed and asked them why, and it's because they thought I should look more exotic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they were expecting a, sh- a shamanic teacher's meant to look like when well, I was not have some weird heads <laughs> going on or a long pointy beard or something. Anyway. So apologies if I don't look exotic <laughs> in the Um Yeah, people do have some interesting ideas about it. I think there's two reasons for this. Certainly to us uh, Westerners, some techniques can seem a bit odd just because we're not used to them, really. In the context those techniques would have been performed in the culture they rightly belong to, they wouldn't have seemed odd. It's just to us they seem odd. Um, because they're often taken out of a context and just stuff we're not used to, really. I think one aspect that's worth mentioning around this is quite a lot of people these days seem to associate shamanism with drug use, particularly mm-hmm. ayahuasca, um, but also things like cambo and the boga and all sorts of things. Cultures that use that very much do it within a context of their culture. The cultures that tend to use drugs regularly, so psychoactive substances, are not actually that common in the worldwide shamanic community. They tend usually to be confined to cultures where the shamanic drum, which is the main thing we use for going into shamanic trance states, basically would rot. So, you know, if you're in the Amazon jungle or something, it's it's hard to keep a drum really. Yeah, that's the kind of misconception that all shamanism is about ayahuasca or drug use, really. So, yeah, some of it's cultural. Um, Some of it is, although it's fantastic to see the rebirth of shamanism that's happening these Mm. days, the word has and the practice have become mixed up with a lot of stuff that really isn't very shamanic at all, Um, a lot of New Age stuff, for instance, and also very watered down as well. I mean, I've even seen an advert for shamanic shampoo a while ago. Uh, I mean, I have done my fair share in the past of um, the wilder sides of shamanism. So I've done, you know, I've, I've danced naked around fires, dressed in animal skins. I've howled at the moon. I've taken psychoactive plants. You know, I've done all that stuff. And it was great. I loved it. What I found, though, a lot of it just didn't last, essentially. I mean, it did change me. But after a, after a few weeks or a few months, it would tend to wear off. So I'd go do, a, you know, a week's residential course and have these amazing experiences. And I'd be high as a kite when I came out. And, I, you know, for weeks, I'd feel great. And then once you're back in this what sort of day-to-day modern society, it would just wear off eventually. And I saw this happening over and over again with other people. And as a teacher, I've got a lot of emails over the years from people who experience this as well. So they go off to Peru or wherever, take ayahuasca, have these amazing experiences for six months. So they come back and they email me because they're lost. They just don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I thought about this a lot over the years when I first got into Shamanism. In these indigenous animist cultures, these dramatic... Sort of things like sweat lodges and things tended to be used quite rarely um, and sparingly. They were very much used for a purpose, but they weren't actually what animism is about or shamanism is about. They were just a means of helping people get there, essentially. Because animism is essentially it's a way of being; it's a way of experiencing the world. The entire culture was based around that as well and supportive of that. And of course, our Western dominant culture that most of us live in Hmm. doesn't support that at all so you can go and have these amazing experiences and you come back and then yes well how what do you do with them and how do you hold on to that one way of some people solve that is to just up sticks and you know go live in Hmm. Peru or something and that's absolutely fine if that's what you want to do it wasn't my solution for various reasons, some of them personal. I mean, by the age of 27, I was a father and very dedicated to being a father and I wanted a house and home and so on. For, you know, So there were personal reasons. But I also, it just occurred to me, not everybody is into animals and chances and canop sticks and go live in Peru because of, or wherever, because apart from anything else, it would destroy those cultures. It wouldn't be a good thing to do. So how do we make it relevant to us, to our lives, to the modern day? And that became my real primary concern and the focus of my practice, really. The dramatic stuff is great and interesting, but in the end, how can you make it a real day-to-day living embodied practice that is really relevant to the life you're leading now? That is absolutely my passion my driving force really in terms of my teaching and my books and things is to do that because pretty much really everything that has gone wrong with modern human day culture and that's first we're living in what's called the anthropocene extinction era where you know we're set to destroy anything from 50 to 90 percent of the other species on this planet plant and animal Mm -hmm. um and possibly ourselves you know in the process. So we've gone wrong somewhere. And if you understand what animism and shamanism are and understand the history of things, basically that all starts from abandoning animism. Everything that's gone wrong with the modern era stems from turning back on animist practices and that way of being.
0: Maybe before we explore that further, you could say a little about the difference between shamanism and animism then?
1: If we're talking about shamanism, really, we should put it in the context of animism. Animism is a way all human beings lived until comparatively recently. All your human ancestors, all my human ancestors, would have been living and breathing animism until fairly recently in human history. And animism is the experience experience not belief it's an experience that everything alive us is around and conscious so animists literally experience that not only humans alive and other animals and things and not even just plants but also the waterfall the mountain and so on everything is alive and conscious and more than that everything is also related everything is part of a large family of kin essentially um, so, animists do talk about sort of brother wolf and sister mountain and so on and so on. And at the heart of animism, then, is about living in right relationship, harmoniously, ethically, and so on, with the other than human community. So, that's what animism is. And that's very, very ancient and was completely the norm for humans until comparatively recently. Shamanism is, um, is um, an application of this, essentially. In hunter-gatherer times, in animist times, although everybody would be living and as an animist and experience the world in that way, the shamans were people who had a, an additional gift. And this was basically this ability to enter into a trance state in which they left their body can travel what are known as the shamanic realms. And in those places, they could communicate with the other than human very clearly and then return with knowledge and teaching and healing gifts from the other than human. Aside from uh, the healing uses of that practice, the really central role of the shaman in the human communities was to keep the humans on the right path, mm. to keep them living in correct, right relationship with the other than human. To so basically to teach the human community what being a healthy human being meant, what mm. the relationship should be with the wider than human community. We need it back essentially.
0: So in abandoning animism and killing all our shamans, we cut ourselves from the blueprint of what it means to be human. Is that why we seem so lost?
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You'll sometimes hear animists or shamans say things are as they are because of the stories they're listening to. Or another way of putting it is um, things are as they are because of the stories they're telling themselves. I mean, we are, if you think about it, who you think you are is because of the stories you tell yourself about who you are and the stories your family and your culture and your friends tell you you are and so on and so on. And understanding this is really key to animism and shamanism. What animists say is that there is a set of sort of original stories. They're like um, the blueprint and the design for what each thing is meant to be, essentially. Indigenous cultures all over the world have versions of this. North American Indigenous cultures call them the original instructions. In Australia, the Aborigines call them the original songlands. In the Himalayas, um, they're the original understandings. And in Northern Europe, the original seeds that everything is meant to grow out of and into. So if you think about uh, trees just get on with being trees because they're following their instructions, essentially, mm-hmm. as do deer and antelope and mountains and waterfalls and the wind and everything. Everything is just being what it's meant to be, essentially. And in doing that living in right relationship with everything else as well, except humans. Every, every animal plant and so on has its own unique gifts and things. Part of our gift is we are... St- storytellers more than any other thing on the planet essentially Mm -hmm. and we need a long period of absorbing stories in childhood to you know become an adult more you know longer than most other animals and our stories are very complex and detailed and so on. that's what we are the problem is we can get lost we can make up our own stories Uh, we can lose sight of the original instructions And all animist cultures really understood the danger of this. The role of the shaman was to keep an eye on that. We kill off our shamans with nobody to do that anymore. And we start to see the rise of destructive stories. At the heart of those destructive stories is hierarchy and the myth of human supremacy. So animism is sometimes described as a spiritual round table. There is no hierarchy. Everything just has its place in the ecology and the whole... With the Neolithic Revolution, when we start to develop sort of mass agriculture, and then it takes off later around four thousand BC with the birth of city-state cultures and what we call civilization, and so on. Mm. This is all based on this story of human supremacy, essentially that we're better than other animals and plants and and everything basically. And we forget essentially how to live in right relationship um, with each other as humans but also with the other than human and we have no shamans left in the dominant culture to say hang on what's happening now?" because we kill them all off it might seem that telling ourselves stories of how great we are and so we can use everything as we will see fit might be good to us you know it really hasn't been though
0: what are the biggest disadvantages
1: Well, it leads to two things, really. One is it cuts us off from nature. We start to see ourselves as separate from nature, as better than nature. This has two big disadvantages. One is we start to abuse the ecosystem we live in, leading to the state we're in now, the Anthropocene extinction and, you know, the extinction crisis we're living through now. The other thing is, it's like we unplug ourselves from what's healthy, essentially. In shamanism, this is called power loss. It literally diminishes us. Power loss makes us weak, essentially, and unhealthy. It's interesting, there's lots of studies coming out over the last few years about how healing being in nature is it helps with depression anxiety and you know doctors in england even prescribing going walking in the countryside and stuff now you know for depression indigenous people really understood that we can't live separate nothing can live separately it's unhealthy so that's one of the big disadvantages the other is people often are quite think we've been really clever in how we've dominated other things around us, how we've domesticated so many animals and plants. The reality is there is no species on the planet we have domesticated and diminished more than ourselves. Um, To actually fit into what we call civilization, city-state cultures, and then modern-day culture, we have to send so much of our healthy parts away, our sort of healthy... Wildness and authenticity, and all sorts of things. And in shamanism, this is called soul loss. And that is bad news. It makes us ill. If you read the symptoms of soul loss, things like um, sense of something missing in life, hard to find purpose, trying to find it in things that don't actually help, like consumer goods and so on, apathy, depression, chronic illness, all, it goes on and on and on. It's like a list of the ailments of Western culture. What we've done to ourselves, although we think we've been really clever, it's resulted in massive soul loss and power loss um, Mm. on a a truly spectacular scale. Shamans always understood that soul loss and power loss were dangerous because they leave us very weakened and that leaves us prone to all sorts of other things getting in and things and taking us over. Hence, we live in a culture that's full of addictions, um, I don't just mean substance addictions, which is are massive, you know, I mean, not just illegal drugs, but cigarettes, tobacco, relationship addictions, addiction to consumer goods, you know, television, all sorts of stuff. and Everything you look at in the West, you can put down to um, stemming from soul loss and power loss, which stems from our abandonment of animism, essentially. Mm-hmm.
0: Would indigenous people know soul loss and power loss?
1: that's a very good question um power loss no um because they lived absolutely as part of nature without any separation from it um and really understood and prized and valued their connection with the other than human so until they start to become their cultures have become destroyed when you do see them fall apart very rapidly because their Mm. connection with nature is severed because we take their land essentially Mm. um you don't see power loss in indigenous cultures so loss absolutely you would have seen um we can lose parts of ourselves through when somebody dies you know who we love part you know part of them may part of us may have sort of gone off with them or through um yeah bereavements loss all sorts of things so, soul loss was definitely understood by indigenous cultures, but they would see the signs of it really quickly and they understood the dangers of it as well. So, in indigenous culture, if you were suffering soul loss, it would be dealt with quickly, but right. like the shaman would intervene and heal. And if necessary, the whole tribe would intervene and they would spend days and days doing it and they wouldn't stop until you were fixed, essentially. Right. Nowadays, we just you know live with it. it it's interesting soul loss lots of people even though they don't actually know about it consciously when they see the word soul loss they can't kind of understand it because deep down we know we've lost something and then when you do read the symptoms most people kind of go oh my god you know that's me and most of the people i know you know and shamanism knows how to fix this it's it Fixing soul loss, what's called soul retrieval, is absolutely a specialist thing that shamanism is for, really.
0: Can I ask now the question about how old shamanism is?
1: He says, take a deep breath. Um, (laughs) This can get quite heated in shamanic circles, I have to say. Um, So I just want to be really clear. I'm only giving my answer here. I think most people uh except that animism is very very ancient i don't think there's much argument about animism really so this experience of everything being alive and conscious and needing to live in right relationship because of that that's really old modern humans rough figure homo sapiens between 160 000 to 200 000 years old so pretty much probably they've all were animist modern Civilization is about 6,000 years old, city-state culture. That means about 93% of generations of human ancestors were animistic, basically. So, animism is very ancient. Shamanism is, people argue more about this. There are some people who have a very, very narrow definition of shamanism mm-hmm. because the word itself, comes from a particular culture. It's from the Venki or Tungus people who live in the Siberian Mongolia region of the world. Every culture would have had a word for shaman. that's just the one that's entered common usage. But some people are really quite adamant and get quite angry about anybody using the word shamanism who isn't describing that culture. The philosopher Wittgenstein said the meaning of a word is its use in a language. And Mm -hmm shamanism has many uses people mean different things by it so yes it can just mean that the vinky practice but generally the word shamanism has entered the english language and it has a much wider use now i certainly do draw some lines on the use of the word shamanism particularly when it comes to shamanic shampoo or shamanic soup <laughs> That's what shamanism but my natural tendency is not to be that dogmatic and to look to be inclusive, really. So if we go back to shamanism being an application of animism, where some people have this ability to leave their body, travel the shamanic realms, communicate with the other human come back. If people are doing that, I don't really mind how they're doing it. I'm not really a purist about it, as far as I am because that's good enough to be shamanic, really, for me. Um, I think it's extremely unlikely that any animist community didn't have people who could do that. So my answer is that there's probably been shamans as long as people have been animists. And that means as long as people have been human beings. In some ways, if you go back to saying that animism is the experience of everything being alive and conscious and wanting to live in the right relationship, in some ways you could argue that the only things that, aren't animists are modern human beings because actually it's what my cats do it's what dog does it's what trees do it's what mountains do it's what all humans used to do i mean not being animist is what's odd it's a modern aberration essentially
0: and how can something so ancient be relevant for the present time
1: the healthiest and sanest cultures human beings have ever produced are the animist ones. I want to be really clear when I'm saying this. I am absolutely not putting animism on some kind of idealised pedestal at all, or hunter-gatherer cultures. It was a tough life. They certainly weren't saints and so on and so on. Having said that, in comparison to our culture, we know from all the accounts we have in anthropology, from anonymous cultures all over the world, they had much, much better mental health than us, much better. We live in a culture with an epidemic of depression and anxiety going on. Anxiety levels are rising year on year on year. That was unheard of in anonymous cultures until they come into contact with our Western culture, essentially, and start to fall apart. So there's this idea sometimes people have about animism. It comes from the um, British philosopher Hobbes, who wrote famously that um, the lives of primitive people, as he called them, were nasty, British, and short. And that is, we know that is nonsense these days. They were happier than us. That's not really in dispute these days. There would be exceptions, but generally they had a more relaxed lifestyle. I mean, anthropologists started to use the term the original affluent culture. They... Yeah looked after their sick and the elderly and the infirm. They were the original welfare state, if you like. But the the biggest thing, if we look back to animus cultures, we do not have a single example anywhere in the world of an animus culture destroying the environment it lives in. Occasionally, uh, when humans move into places where they haven't lived before, there are possibly, we are possibly being extinct, they're responsible for extinction of certain species, as would happen if, with any top carnivore of four, if it moves into an ecosystem where, you know, mm-hmm. it had not been before, there'll be a readjustment happens. Mm-hmm. But no animus culture has destroyed the environment they live in. With uh, city-state cultures, our cultures, we have hundreds or possibly even thousands of examples of city-state cultures destroying the environment they live in and themselves in the process. We we are in a mess and we're not going to solve that by carrying on doing the things we've been trying to do for the last 6,000 years. I mean, that's not saying if you always do what we've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. I mean, the, the definition of madness is to keep repeating things that don't work. The only sane answer is to look back to the cultures that were healthy and knew how to live in right relationship, these Indigenous animist cultures, and try to take what messages we can from them and apply them to the times we live in now to reclaim those original structures and to start living by them and applying them and making them relevant. Those those are the blueprints we need to be looking at.
0: Are shamanism and animism religions?
1: Uh, Most people would say no. I mean, animism is even not spelt with a capital letter like most religions are, Buddhism, Christianity. The reason being that um, there is no organisation in animism. Um, there's so there's uh, no sacred text or book. There's no buildings. There's no hierarchical organisation. There's nothing like that at all. The really crucial difference is there is no need to believe anything in animism. There's no leaps of faith. There's no believing what somebody else tells you. It is a there's a set of instructions to try stuff out, and if you are willing to experiment you find out for yourself. So animism is based on literally direct personal experience. There's no priesthood to go through. There's no hierarchy. There's no need to believe what's written in a book. It's direct personal experience and a way of being. So it's usually not regarded as a religion.
0: You teach therapeutic shamanism. Why bring psychotherapy in the mix?
1: Well, this goes back to um, our domesticating of ourselves essentially and the rise of um, the modern day dominant culture that we live in. To fit into this culture we had to send parts of ourself away. So you were asking earlier actually about um, did Indigenous people suffer soul loss and I was saying yes they do through bereavement and things Mm. and we suffer soul loss through things like that as well of course. However, soul loss is much more common than it was Um, in animist cultures. And the reason being that to fit into this culture, Mm -hmm. uh, we have to really send parts of ourselves away. So to fit into nuclear families, which are a very modern invention, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, once upon a time you would have been raised by the tribe, you know, feed to hang out with whatever people you got on with. We're kind of forced to, you know, get on with, Mm. parent or one parent or whatever it is even if we don't so to fit in with that we usually send parts of ourselves away our playfulness our our answering back our vulnerability our assertiveness whatever it is and then this carries on with school of course where we you know sit down shut up and and then carries on with most people's jobs you know um so we suffer massive soul loss um now In Indigenous times, if somebody suffered soul loss, they would be living in a culture where they would be more than happy to have that part back. So, if they suffered a bereavement, lost part of the soul, the shaman would journey, find it, bring it back, and the person would say, That's great. Okay. In this culture, if you suffer soul loss because you sent part of yourself away, and essentially, as a psychotherapist, that comes down to I'm only lovable if I behave like this, I'm only acceptable if I behave like this okay so people pitch up saying oh I want the cell retrieval and if I sit down and really spend some time talking them, what do you actually feel about having that part back that you sent away yeah it's like how is it gonna how what are your worries about how it's going to affect your relationship with your partner or your kids or your family or your work or so on um so there's a lot more um, negotiating needs to happen between what we call parts of self, the part that stayed behind and adapted and sent the other parts away. There needs to be an integration. And psychotherapy is that good at dealing with those integrations of parts of self. Um, so that's that's one reason. The other reason being power loss, again, in, like I said, indigenous culture didn't suffer from that. And there are... Parts of psychotherapy that are really good at addressing that as well. Um psychotherapies and so on and so on. So really, shamanism and psychotherapy have an awful lot they can learn from each other. Um shamanism can learn from psychotherapy because of because of the fall and our domestication. Um there are things it it never had to deal with, but therapy has evolved to deal with. What therapy can learn from shamanism is that it's not all about humans, which psychotherapy tends to do, ecotherapy aside, mm. really. Shamanism can help take th- psychotherapy out of its human-centric box and actually deal with the reality of the other than human as well. So they have a lot to learn from each other.
0: So, to sum up, what would be the biggest benefits of opening ourselves to shamanism and shamanic realities?
1: Honestly, uh, just so many things. Cell retrieval. I've never met anybody in this culture who has not suffering from massive cell loss, essentially. There's a long list of symptoms that most of us suffer from Do we just think are normal, really, because we look around, everybody's suffering from them. It goes beyond that as well. In shamanism, We can talk about spirit, which is not the same thing as soul. Spirit is probably what most people more think of as spirituality. It's connection Mm. with God or whatever you want to call it, essentially. And our soul is really about what you were meant to be, you individually as a Mm. person. Not what society's told you to be or your parents or dysfunctioning school or whatever, what were you really meant to be? It is astonishing if you look at this culture, it's done an incredibly good job at eradicating knowledge of soul. You'll find smatterings of it in things like young in-depth psychology there's a few people write about it people like bill plotkin and myself obviously but most people think it's synonymous with spirit and it really isn't i think one of the most beautiful and powerful things for me about genres is it teaches you very practically how to find your soul and then how to start growing into it to to blossom into from the seed of that into what you are actually meant to be as a person. And then also how to live in right relationship um, with other humans. um, uh, And also then most importantly with the other than human world as well. These practices in shamanism they're found all over the world and they're also very, very ancient. And the reason is because they actually work. It's a very, very practical form of spirituality that really does change you. It's utterly fascinating and incredibly joyous. And uh, it's not necessarily easy, um, but it is just richly rewarding. And for many, many people, I mean, I've seen this in thousands of students now, it's like a homecoming.
0: So to learn shamanism, do you need any superpowers or can everybody <laughs> learn it?
1: <laughs> well, I wouldn't have learned it if that was the
0: case.
1: Perfectly <laughs> <laughs> ordinary. No, you don't. That's the thing. It's like it's, it, I can't stress this enough. It is what we're meant to be as human beings. It's, it's actually return to normality, return to sanity. Our soul and our body... A thirst for it. So, when those parts find it, they, you know, it's like, oh, bring it on. It's this misconception that shamans are sort of a divine calling or something. It's not the case, really. Some people could be much better at it than others. It's like, you know, most people can learn to draw to some extent, not, you know, I'm terrible at it, you know, people are good. So, some people could be better, but everybody can learn this because it's how we're meant to be animism certainly is my experience in the world in that way
0: where can people learn more about therapeutic shamanism you teach you have three books uh now and what else tell me more about it
1: my path was very personal uh and to the extent i actually for Probably 10 years, I didn't even really talk to anybody about it at all. And then gradually, my guide started nagging me and nagging me and nagging me and nagging me me to start teaching it And because I was already a teacher in other things. And I said no for years, and they kept on and on and on at me. And so I did tentatively start teaching what I knew, and people just lapped it up. So I started running the courses, set at the college in 2007 and the courses have been running ever since when COVID the pandemic happened we experimented with moving the courses online honestly I didn't think it'd work very well I was completely wrong the feedback's been spectacular so there's lots of online courses the beauty of that is it's opened it up to people across the world now so we have students from literally all over the world you can also study at your own pace and time as well if time zones are a problem you can go to the website and look up the courses um they we tried to keep them very um cost friendly um and then eventually i s- started writing as well again with my guides nagging me i honestly i had serious questions about how much you could learn from a book and again i was wrong i mean i have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails now about people who have started learning through the books. I mean, I did try to keep the books very practical. I mean, there's a bit of theory and then a practical exercise and then more theory and practical exercise. Mm -hmm. So if you do the exercises, work through the books, um, you can learn it. I mean, in some ways, looking back, it it really shouldn't be a surprise that the books work because actually, even if you were in, in an Indigenous community, the shaman who you were apprenticed to would tell you some stuff and then tell you an exercise mm. and then you go off and do it. The real learning actually comes from doing the work. Yeah. Um, and really, in the end, it doesn't really matter whether that's a you know a, a live face-to-face person you work teacher you're working with, or whether that's via a book or online. It's like it's just inf- a bit of information. This is then how to find out for yourself. And the real learning comes from doing the stuff. So we absolutely can work through the books and the courses. And the two really complement each other as well. And also because we live in a culture where a lot of people don't have access to a live teacher or a credible live teacher. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we need to address that because we need shamanism back. We need it back desperately.
0: Can you maybe say just a few words about what people can expect from the introductory course that starts in September, the first steps?
1: Basically, the course will go into more detail about what shamanism is and what it isn't. It'll take you step by step through the process of how to do a shamanic journey, starting off by going down to what's called the shamanic lower world, which is the realm of nature and the realm of the animals and plants and so on. We do what's called a power animal retrieval, which is to find the first of your shamanic guides Uh, which is an animal teacher who you can work closely with. They become your lifelong principal shamanic teacher, essentially. We look at the wider context of shamanism and why we lost it and why we need it back and how to start to do that in our modern day. Uh, Other practices aside from shamanic journeying that can help you start to make it a real living experience, day-to-day experience. And then we also look uh, very briefly about, because people always ask us about whether t- they can do this for friends and family as well. So we look at safe ethical ways of doing that as well. Although there are online sessions, we also record those sessions. So if you can't make those dates because of time zone problems and things, you can watch recordings and do it in that way too as well. And there's a, there's usually a very lively online community builds up around each course. Uh, there's lots of, opportunity to ask questions and get them answered and also debate with and get support from fellow students and things it's, it's usually very exciting and usually there's a great buzz around it people love it and and it's the gateway then to lots and lots and lots of other courses um, that you can pick and mix and choose and you know according to what you're interested in really.
0: That's great thank you Paul for talking with me.
1: Okay thank you Kaya
0: great bye bye if you enjoyed this episode join us for the next session when we will dive into shamanic journeying. what it is how can we learn it and why is it something that can really deepen and enrich our everyday shamanic practice stay tuned bye